What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a great show lined up for you guys today. The college football playoff is officially set, so we will be breaking down those matchups and the teams that did, in fact, get uh, get, get picked to play for the national championship. And we might see some interesting debates, interesting discussions about uh, what we think about these teams. So we'll, we'll have that a little uh, at the top of the show. But uh, along with that, We'll also, of course, talk about the Knicks. Um, last week, they fired their head coach. Now there's talks about uh, where, what kind of coach they may be looking at moving forward, what kind of president and GM they may be looking at if Steve Mills and, and Scott Perry do not return after the season. So we'll break down the whole Knicks debacle. Uh, we'll, we'll also break down the debacle happening in Cleveland. They actually had a win, but the story out of the, out of the game this past weekend wasn't about their win. It was about Odell Beckham. It even became a Baker Mayfield. We'll get to a little bit as well. So uh, we'll talk that. We'll talk some baseball. There's some free agency uh, news coming out this week, along with some uh, a major uh, pursuit over really the crown jewel of this uh, free agent session, uh, Garrett Cole. We got Flames and Trash. We got Kendall's Court. Should be a great show. Kendall joins me today as well. Kendall, what's up? What are you looking forward to talking about today? Yeah, what's up, EJ? We uh, like you said, we have a great show uh, this week. Um, obviously, the college football playoff is going to be very exciting to talk about because we have uh, what was a very interesting end to the season, and we have, I would say, three of the four uh, right now like biggest brands in college football, um, and I would say probably the four biggest outside of Alabama you can make the case so uh just in terms of you know being you know the hottest program in the college well maybe outside of Georgia as well but um so that's exciting and to have those matchups in the four quarterbacks that we will be seeing uh come you know New Year's come the new year but um we have that but all this Knicks uh situation is also very very interesting um because, you know, they've been such a bad team. Uh, they've been so underwhelming. Uh, and they've underperformed so much that they had to move They had to move on from David Fisdale. But what, I'm interested to hear what you and your perspective as a Knicks fan feel, what you feel about uh, the direction in which they should go with this next hire. Because they can go in a million different directions and none of them seem that attractive. Uh, but I have some interesting ideas, so I'm interested to see what you have to say about those. All right, All right. Uh, that, that makes sense. So uh, I'm not sure that'd be a great discussion when we talk Knicks. It's always exciting. So that'll be coming up very shortly. But first, let's talk about the college football playoff. So we have our final four teams who will battle it out for this year's national championship. And while there was plenty of drama heading into the conference championship games this past weekend, there really is no argument about the four teams who were selected. So it will be Ohio State taking on the, nat- the defending national champions, Clemson, in the Fiesta Bowl. And then it will be LSU, the number one overall team, facing Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. Uh, Kendall, first, did the committee get it right with these four teams in these matchups, in your opinion? Uh, 100%. Um, I think from almost any metric or any from almost any angle, they got this right. If you're talking what I want to see, like from a fan perspective, I think these are the two matchups that make the more that make the most sense 
of the four. Because, look, once Utah lost and once Alabama lost in the Iron Bowl and Georgia lost to LSU, it became clear who the four were going to be. It was going to be the Big 12 champion, Ohio State, and LSU and Clemson. So, you know, so, like, there there is no real debate about who should be in. Um, Now, if you want to talk about, you know, who should be one or two, LSU or Ohio State. Look, I was. I feel like Ohio State. You know, I've I felt for a while that they they've been the best team in the country. Um, whether or not they win the national championships, another conversation. But up to this point, I felt like they've been the best team in the country. But their resume doesn't have is not their resume just isn't the same as what LSU is bringing to the table in terms of top twenty five wins in terms of conference uh strength of conference um i just feel like lsu lsu just played a tougher schedule uh they don't have the margin of victory but that's not going to happen when you're playing a a slightly tougher schedule um but it's really the committee and if it's coming down to look lsu and ohio state is splitting hairs people would much rather see ohio state play clemson than lsu LSU and Clemson is a great matchup as well, but Ohio State and Clemson, you have the drama of, you know, Fields and Lawrence that people are definitely going to be paying attention to. Um, So I can understand why they would go in that direction. Um, And look, LSU and Oklahoma is a heck of a matchup as well. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, but I don't think that they got anything wrong necessarily with these uh, with these two matchups. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people make the case that um, Ohio State maybe should have been number one over LSU. And, like, within this conversation, there's no disrespect to really any of these two teams. Uh, These are two tremendous football teams. And in an off year, Ohio State would have easily been the number one team and there wouldn't have been no issue with me. Um, I don't have an issue with them being number two for me. Uh, I agree. I think that uh, we can do what you want. A lot of people are – I don't want to say they were manipulating the numbers because the numbers are the numbers, but they were showing the numbers saying, well, look, Ohio State had technically more top 25 wins and Ohio State had uh, a slightly better uh, uh, opponent's win percentage. But to me, at the end of the day, I think you got to look at these teams and say, okay, who are the best teams these teams played? And of the grouping, how impressive were they? And how was the competition? Because to me, if you're you're grouping these teams – their best teams they played they played uh, each team. For Ohio State, that's Wisconsin twice, Penn State, and Michigan all at the end of the year. So that is uh, very impressive that they railed off these wins, all of them towards the end of the season. Uh, for Ohio State, excuse me, for LSU, that's Florida, that's Alabama, that's Auburn, um, and that's Georgia. Did I say Georgia already? Uh, Auburn, Texas. Well, Texas Florida. is them in the beginning of the, of the season, but. But yes, oh, yeah, year, yeah. Yeah, Florida, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia are your top wins for LSU. I just don't see how, having watched all those teams play, to me, Alabama is is Alabama with Tua Tungavailoa at home is so much better than anyone Miss Ohio State's played. It's the best win of any team in the country. Absolutely, and and they and I mean the final score was a close game. They were running away with that game. At halftime, to the point where Alabama couldn't catch up when they tried to make it a, a close game. And they did make it a close game, to be fair, but that was a game that LSU dominated for the large majority of the game. Um, 
Florida, really good team. Pretty much dominated that game. The Estes weren't the, the 30-point win that Ohio State were putting together. But to me, Ohio State kind of just overwhelmed teams that clearly weren't a physical match for them. Uh, Auburn just beat Alabama. Auburn really has no bad losses competing in every game they've played. They, that's a great win. Uh, Georgia was number four in the country. They beat them in Georgia because the, the SEC championship game is in Atlanta, which that's like a pseudo-home game for the Bulldogs. I'm not trying to disrespect the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten has solid football teams. They play good football. I just, I, to me, if you tell, you're telling me that what that that Penn State offense and the way their quarterback played all year, um, how up and down Michigan has been, and how 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 just they were kind of for one part of the season they looked like a, a just a clown show, and then for the second half they looked kind of good, and then they went they got their doors blown off by Ohio State. I, I just to me you can't I can't see how you can tell me those teams match up to what we've seen from these SEC schools. I thought all those schools I thought had tremendous seasons. I I, I think Wisconsin is a really st- solid team, a strong team. The fact that Ohio State clobbered them at home uh, is impressive to me. But uh, when I'm looking at the totality of the teams there, I don't see I don't see it. I don't see where how the case that you can make that Ohio State the best team they played were better than the I, teams that look, LSU played. I don't see it. I have my own issues that I had early in the year about flip flopping the one and two you know, for no reason, more or less, because if the number one team wins, they shouldn't necessarily drop. Um, if they're consistently winning, winning at a high level. But for being honest, Ohio State didn't look good this weekend. And LSU dominated Georgia from start to finish. Ohio State, if had they dominated Wisconsin, I think they would have been the number one team. But an unimpressive win in the Big Ten championship game, is not ground for you automatically being the number one team. Now, if, if vice versa, if Georgia, if LSU, you know, if they were in a nip and tuck, you know, game against Georgia, back and forth game against Georgia, maybe they're not number one. But I just, I think the I, case can, it, to me, the it, case can definitely be made, Kendall, that LSU is trending up and that Ohio State has been trending down. Right. Because we take away just the Michigan game. And I'm sorry, I don't think Michigan is good. Like, like I don't care what their ranking is. Like, like to me, the other teams, like I'll, I'll give you Penn State as a solid one. I'll give you Wisconsin. But uh, to me, Michigan. Whenever Michigan played anybody good, they looked awful. So I said, me, how can I really rank that as a great win, despite the fact that they were ranked as high as they did because they were able to rack up a lot of wins against bad teams. I. I don't know. It seems kind of elementary to me, but there are a lot of people still making the case for Ohio State. Yeah, and and you know it's fine, um, but honestly, I I don't think I know some people are they have this mindset of look whoever gets the two spot is going to get screwed because they have to play Clemson. You know, and I think Clemson is a very tough matchup, uh, but I think Oklahoma isn't uh, a cakewalk as well. So. Both these teams are going to have to be ready to play come the new year, or else, you know, they could both be, they could both lose. But, um, you know, the matchup that I'm looking forward to the most, like I mentioned, is that that Fields versus Lawrence matchup. You know, I mean, these are two guys that, you know, were the number one, depending who you ask, were the number one player coming out of high school in the same, both in the same class, and depending on the recruiting service you, you follow. 
Uh, we're both ranked the number one quarterback and the number one player in the country, one and two probably in most uh, services. But um, both from the state of Georgia, you know, like it's, you know, recruited by the same schools coming out of high school. And they've been and they will, barring injury uh, and catastrophic meltdown, will be the number one and two pick in next year's draft. So, I mean, this these guys are going to be linked for a very, very long time. And I don't think people even realize it right now. But, you know, we look back from we're going to look back at this game five years from now, six years from now. And we'll be like, wow. Like and look, maybe I'm maybe I'm overselling it. Maybe it's gonna be Mariota versus Winston. You know, like nobody really cares about that playoff game right. when you look back at it. But, um, but it seems like it'll have that magnitude come when those guys get drafted one and two, and uh, when those guys have long NFL careers. Yeah, especially considering, and I, I think that yeah, I, I wouldn't go as far as say five or six years because we don't know. It's hard to tell how great these guys could be in the NFL. But I think certainly for the short term future. This is a massive uh, chapter in the rivalry of uh, Lawrence versus Fields that spans many years. It's not a disrespect or hate between any, any of these guys, at least not that I know of. But it's just people have been arguing about these two quarterbacks since they were probably juniors in, 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 in high school about you know who was a better quarterback. And now to see them playing at the at the highest of high levels, except for you know just a step below the national championship game, is going to be crazy. And when you consider these guys are, are only sophomores, and these are two teams, Ohio State and Clemson, that will absolutely be favorites to be into the picture of the playoffs next year. This could be a precursor to a matchup that also happens next year, maybe for another playoff spot, maybe as for a national championship game. So that this is definitely a massive showdown. Um, I know uh, Dabble Sweeney has been banging the drum that his team is being uh, disrespected because they were not being considered to be the number one team, despite being in national, despite being in national championship uh, 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 defenders, and despite the fact that they um, were undefeated, uh, yeah, I kind of have the same feeling that you have. Um, look, and look, we're both in the ACC. Me, I'm a Miami fan. You're a Pitt fan, so we want to see Clemson do well for the ACC for the conference, of course, because uh, that makes the conference that helps the conference overall, but. Our conference was terrible. Miami was a terrible football team. I'll tell you that. Kendall will tell you Pitt was a terrible football team. He'll tell you that. And that was kind of part of the course for the entire conference. Yeah, I don't and, think I don't think it's not that was nothing special. Like everyone. Yeah, I think every. I don't think there's any fan base besides maybe Virginia and in Clemson that feels good about where their team is. Maybe Virginia Tech. Maybe, but I, I can't see losing to your rival at home. For a chance yeah, to go to the conference championship game, and you feel good. So, I mean, even that's Syracuse. Like, so many low expectations. Well, know. no, they they were be- they were a great team last year. So, that's I, the thing, they, yeah, they came yeah, in no way. They, they compete. Yeah, no, they 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 went backwards. So there's no fan base that feels good about their team. Maybe the only team I give you is maybe Wake Forest. Wake Forest had a decent year. Yeah, that's so true. Wake Forest and Virginia. Besides, comes the only fan bases that feel decent about their team. So that is the the feeling to see Clemson run roughshod through these teams for five, you know, six, seven, eight weeks in a row, it's just not going to impress anybody. Um, they had a, a miserable performance against North Carolina, that a game that they should have lost. And had they lost, but with the way things worked out, it, it doesn't look like it would have cost them a playoff spot. But, it, it, I mean... I think it would have. I mean, 
Are they I don't, getting I in think, over? I think they would have gotten over Georgia if they won their conference championship, which they would have. Because Georgia at that yeah. point has two losses, so I don't get. Yeah, they they would have got in, you know, because then really it's them or Oregon. I, it I, been, there's it no way they're putting Oregon ahead of Clemson. I'm telling you right now, they're not going to put. They're not going to let not let the national championship, the not reign national champions. Yeah, and Oregon them, has give themselves a well. shot to defend their title. They're not going. Yeah, Oregon that. would have two losses as well. So. Yeah, so no, it's they would have got in, but but that speaks to like how bad the rest of the field is and why Clemson, while they're three, it's not that they had that much competition around them. They should be happy yeah, no, where they are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, ESPN literally had their quality wins as, what, at North Carolina, uh, Texas A&M. Well, I don't think it's even bowl eligible. Are they bowl? Yeah, they're yeah, they are so bowl they barely yeah. made it. Okay. Yeah, they're in the military bowl against uh, the Temple Owls. But, um... They're there, yeah. At North Carolina, Texas, uh, at home against Texas A&M, and M, and the neutral site game against Virginia. Those are three quality wins. I don't know if any of those are legitimately quality wins. If if you if let's say if LSU or Ohio State played any of those teams, well, actually LSU did play one of those teams and yes. beat them. Um, they would not be listed amongst their quality wins. No, nah. I mean. Not based on the schedule that they they've had. They had this season. Neither the, the one of wouldn't rank the North Carolina teams. game. In fact, for me, is their least quality one. I agree. I think that was their worst performance this year by far. <laughs> so, that was not a game where you thought, "Oh wow!" Like they really showed a lot of heart and hung in there. Like I watched that game. It was a it was a very entertaining game. You couldn't have felt good about Clemson. And I still don't know how why that happened. It was, it's, North Carolina is not a quality one for anyone in the ACC. No, it's it's not it, a quality it, one for for Pitt for Miami. For Louisville, it's not. I, I wish Miami beat. Those, I wish Miami beat North Carolina. They, they, they didn't even get yeah, that. Yeah, we beat win. North Carolina. I was like, I guess I mean, we did what we were supposed to do. So if that's the best thing that Clemson can tell, is that, and look, I'm not blaming them for the schedule. The ACC has to step up. That's not their fault. No, and they, and they scheduled an ACC that team was, that was supposed to be, that was highly regarded by a lot of people who underachieved in Texas A&M. Surprise, yeah. surprise, Texas A&M underachieved, but. Like this is there's no no one's blaming Clemson for what happened on the schedule. You know exactly. Like, it's not the SEC team underachieved. Like, it's not like they're not playing anybody, but in terms of the program stature, but these teams were not good. Yeah. So if I'm evaluating how good Clemson is, you've had some you had some mediocre performances against bad teams. I can't then say with a straight face that you're you've had a better season than LSU or Ohio State when those teams are are unbeaten. It'd be one thing if those teams had one loss. Then I would say, all right, that's disrespectful. But if we're looking, these teams are even. So how am I going to put Clemson ahead of them? Uh, the line on OU, uh, the OU, OU LSU game is starting with LSU, I believe, is a 10 point favorite. Do you think that's too much? LSU is a 10 point favorite. Uh, I don't think so. I, you know, I think. Um, because of the way LSU, like, can put up points, like, and oh, Oklahoma's defense has been very tough, but their offense has been a little stagnant. So, you know, it, it, if they get into a shootout, it's crazy to think that I'm saying this about an SEC team versus a Big 12 team, but if the, the Big 12 team gets into a shootout with the SEC team, I, I don't know if they can hang. And because of that, that, that line makes sense, I would think. 
you know, a game could get out of hand. But it doesn't mean that I think Oklahoma has no shot, because I think they do. But, um, but yeah, and, uh, Joe Burrow, by the way, is, is incredible. Well, yeah. So, first of all, the number was 11 and a half. Um, uh, I don't know. I do feel, I do feel like Oklahoma's being a little, a little disrespected. I'll be honest. I mean, LSU has, has played fantastic. And I mean, I, I was, as you guys know, you know, after week one, after week two, whenever they played Texas, I was like, oh yeah, no, this team's for real. This is a team that may definitely challenge Alabama and the SEC. After I was very skeptical at the start of the season because I didn't know what to expect from Burrow. Um, I've been riding LSU's uh, coattails all season, but I think that Oklahoma presents, I think they present challenges to them um, in terms of their ability to to defend. I really do. Uh, The Big 12 is a conference that puts up a lot of points. And, Oklahoma's defense is just night and day from last year. I mean, last year, I mean, the, the whole saying, the Bart Scott, you can't stop a nosebleed. I mean, that, that was literal with this Oklahoma team. But this this season, they've Alex pretty much done a great job, yeah. Yeah, and, and they've pretty much locked up everybody. Um, the, the the linebacker, Murray, I mean, that guy is a, just a complete monster and it's a game wrecker. Their secondary is strong. Um, they able to get a pass rush. I think that I don't think it will be a cakewalk uh, defensive offensively for LSU. They will put up points because they have just they have a phenomenal quarterback who's extremely accurate and makes big plays, but also because they're just a, a well-run machine. But I don't think it will be as easy. And then when you combine that, I think Oklahoma will be able to score points. I expect it to be a decent game. Um, I don't think that. Oklahoma by by means is gonna you know run all over LSU's defense, but LSU's defense they had a great performance against Georgia, but I, I think Georgia's offense was not that good. So I, I haven't seen them put together for in a long time like sixty minutes against a really good team of dominant defensive football. It's and again similar to what you said earlier, it's kind of shocking to say that about an LSU team. But where where is that performance in their schedule? I know I was touting how great they've been, but I don't think that performance is clear and evident. Uh, no, they beat Florida in a shootout. They beat Alabama in a shootout. And again, the Georgia game, I'll give them. But besides that, on, on Auburn, they played solid defense, but Auburn is not an offensive team. And, and, you know, Mississippi scored 37 points on them. Like, it, it, it's something to think about. I, I just I, that number seems a little high to me. I, I would have been fine with you know a, a seven point favorite number, or you know even like a nine point favorite. You get to eleven and a half, you're saying at least a touchdown, a field goal. Jalen Hurts has played in a lot of big games, man. Um, I don't think he's going to be afraid of the big moment, and he's going to be familiar with what LSU does. With what LSU does, he's not. This is not like a team he's never seen before. Like he's seen this team every year of his career. Yeah, pretty four much. years, yeah. So he's going to be ready to play. I expect it to be a more competitive game than maybe uh, everybody's considering. But I don't want to do picks, obviously, yet because we want to do the picks of the game as we get closer to the game. But uh, are you are you sold completely sold one hundred percent on Joe Burrow as the Heisman? Yeah, we got the Heisman next week, and yeah, he locked it up. Um, you know, for the longest time, I, I mean, I picked Justin Jacksonville to win it before the season. Um, I was close, uh, but. Um, it's going to be Joe Burrow, uh, and he, he should win it. You know, I think that game against Georgia was as much of a hyping moment as I think he needed. Um, I think he got, 
Um, some of the plays he made in that game were like next level plays for NFL quarterbacks. Yeah, it's absurd. You know, like there are quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't expect to make the plays that he was making. So, um, yeah, I mean, he he deserves it. Uh, you know, I think Fields should be second, and you know, after that, you know, I mean, I, I'm assuming it'll be Hurts third, Jay Young four, but uh, no, nah, yeah, Burrow. And some people are upset Trevor Lawrence didn't get a nod, but look, man, he, he again, he, he, I mean, he's played excellent down the stretch, but against who? Exactly. You know? So I can't. We talk about hyped in moment. He just he's had nothing. There's not one thing that Trevor Lawrence has done this season. He's had a great. I mean, game. you literally got to go back to the North Carolina game. Yeah, where things got a little tight, and he did lead them on a drive to put them up, and then the defense held barely because <laughs> they stopped the two point conversion that would have won the game. But I mean, that's again North Carolina, six and sixteen early in the season. I don't know where else I'm going to for that Heisman moment that he had. He's just he's just dominated every team he's played. Is but also I'm sorry, like and like to be fair, uh, LSU has a great running game. Ohio State has a great running game. But I mean, Etienne was the offensive player of the year in the ACC. So the, the right. fact that like the idea that I'm just gonna ignore the idea that they like Clemson's running game is absurd. Also. I don't think that he really had a case this year. Great now, player. He's, he's going to be – he could very well be in the running next year, but I don't think he's Heisman this year or in the Heisman running this year. Is Joe Burrow the type of quarterback that you draft almost regardless of who you have on the roster? Why do you say that? I only ask that because um, if – if the Giants were to get the number one pick in the draft, mm. do you draft like they're they're not far, you know? I, and um, there's somebody that I could that you know we'll see what happens in the in the in, with the front office and the coaching there staff. There reports today that that uh, Shermer seems like a dead man walking, and even Gettleman may be a dead man walking. Yes, and you know I. <laughs> I may or may not have talked to people that have those same suggestions, but um, I, I, what I do know is that if that's the case, Joe Burrow, like the people in the organization, will be married to Daniel Jones mm-hmm. as much as Gettleman and Pat Sherman would be. Like, would they look at Joe Burrow? I mean, Cincinnati's a lock. He's from Ohio. Like, they're going to draft Joe Burrow if they get the number one pick. But I mean, there's still plenty of games to be played. You know, yeah. that's where that's where I where does he stack up in terms of quarterback draft prospects that you see? Yeah, I mean, to me, like other other terrible teams in the NFL, I, I I believe that really the Giants would be the only team that in the running for that that number one pick that would probably have that question. Uh, Miami's drafting without, a, I mean, I, I guess Washington, but things have to get really. The Cincinnati Bengals have to play really well for Washington, Miami, really to get into the picture, but um. It's me, like, well, to to start, I think if you're Washington, yes, I'm taking, I'm getting rid of Haskins, I'm taking Burrow. Uh, the Giants, I mean, I, the Giants, I'm taking, I think you have to believe in your, your, I think you have to believe in your draft evaluation and you have to be realistic about what you've seen from Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones looks solid. He looks like a, a decent prospect. Um, not, I, I can't say he looks like a superstar just yet, but he certainly is promising based on how he's played this year. But to me, uh, it's tough 
it's tough because to me, like that's the that's the basic like conundrum of okay, I have a potential franchise quarterback, but and you know a franchise running back, but uh, besides that, not much else. Do I trade this pick to help the guy that I have, or do I take the other quarterback who I think is better than the guy I have? But then understand that I still have the issue of I don't have any assets. Now, I guess in theory, you could say, well, maybe I can trade Jones and get some of those assets. But Jones is not going to net you the kind of return that Burrow will net you. So the the question I would ask. It's a very difficult question to answer. I'm not sure. uh, I know I should. I do this podcast saying I have answers. I don't know if I have an answer to that one. That's The the question I would ask or pose to help answer this question. Are the Arizona Cardinals regretting trading Josh Rosen and drafting Kyler Murray? No, not at all. I don't think they've thought a second about it. No. So, but I would argue that Jones has looked five times better than any time I've seen Josh Rosen play football, That's fair. including this year. I mean, I liked Rosen better coming out, but I, he had a better rookie year. I would give you that. You know, Jones had a better rookie year, so. Um, that that I mean that is a fair point, but I would also argue Joe Burrow is more, and I like Kyler Murray, but I would argue Joe Burrow is a better prospect than Kyler Murray was. So, um, but also you had the thing of you know Kingsbury, you know Murray is kind of the only quarterback that fits Kingsbury like a glove. So like it, I understood why they made that trade, but um, but no, Joe Burrow looks like you know. The, he looks like he's going to be an elite quarterback, and it's it's early in, uh, but him going to Cincinnati would be a perfect fit. And I got to shout out Rob DeRay because something he says all the time. If you're the Giants, it's something you should consider as well. Is, is he said it, and I think he's 100 percent right. And I repeated it every time someone drafts like, a running back super high. Take Juan Barkley's in his prime right now. Like, in fact, he, he he may be on the slight decline starting next year. Like that's how you have to think of it when you have a running back. Who's taking that many carries, taking that many hits? He already dealt with an ankle injury this year. Like the idea that like you're running back, oh, we, we can build towards something and then the running back will be ready once our team is ready, that doesn't happen. Like usually nowadays you, the running backs that are coming into the league are fresh. They haven't taken as many hits. They come into the league usually in their prime. And if they're not immediately in their prime, then maybe one or two years after leaving college, they're in their prime. If you if you take if you decide to get rid of Jones and you're you're just throwing away that you're throwing away a year that Barkley just had you didn't try to get a quarterback who could help him win you drafted a young guy so that that's a wasted year now and then you're going to draft another rookie quarterback who we don't know if he'll be as advanced as Daniel Jones would be in year two that's something you got to consider as well is is, well, it, I do worth, know is it worth now having a, a a running back who now is in year three with another rookie quarterback he he had a uh, uh, over the hill quarterback year one, a rookie quarterback in year two, and now another rookie quarterback in year three. At, at what point are you cashing in on these Saquon Barkley elite years? Because I would summarize he probably has three more. Yeah. So I, I mean that's 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 a serious. Now, if you think Burrow's going to come in day one and throw thirty touchdowns, well then that that's then this doesn't matter. But. If your evaluation says, I think he's going to be great, but just like any, most rookie quarterbacks, he'll have some struggles, that has to be in your, part of your consideration when you consider you drafted Saquon Barkley so high just two or three years ago. Yeah, no, that's 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 fair. Um, I will say that, I mean, I think Burrow, I'm pretty comfortable he's going to be better than Daniel Jones is next season, but 
Um, we, I mean, like you said, we don't know that. We've seen rookie quarterbacks. I mean, Daniel a Jones has decent numbers. He's not. He's, he's tailed a, off a little bit from what I've heard. Yeah, he has. But I mean, over the course, if you're taking the totality of the season, you know, he has he's had some turnover issues for sure. Um, he started off fantastic, but I, I think I think he's I think he's played okay. You know, for the course for the course of the season, I think he. You know, yeah, like I would feel fine if I'm the Giants. Being two and saying, "Look, we'll get Chase Young." Right. Tragic, you know. <laughs> but, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. We 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 stink, right? <laughs> we got Chase Young, but um, but because Chase Young is such a an elite prospect, I mean, Chase Young is arguably the best pass rushing prospect we've had in ten years, and like a team that already drafted quarterback number one, we're even having the conversation. Well, not number one, but in the, in the first round, we're, we're having the conversation. Maybe they should draft another one instead of the elite pass rushing prospect that they could draft. It, that just shows you how Joe Burrow, what kind of prospect he is right now. Um, I, I mean, I like right now he's. We have to see more of Lawrence and Fields before I can say that those guys are better quarterback prospects than Burrow is. Um, you know, some people think that Lawrence is, you know, the second coming of. Yeah, you know, Joe Montana, but Burrow's the real deal, though. I, I mean, Burrow has put together a body of work that I haven't seen from Lawrence. That's the thing. You yeah, know? like I've and seen, I've seen Burrow do what they're telling me Lawrence is supposed to be doing every week. I seen Lawrence do it in big spots, in big spotlight games, but I've also seen him like you know turn the ball over in a lot of games in ways in which are kind of peculiar for a guy who's supposed to be so advanced. I've seen, never seen Burrow do that this year. At all, I've seen yeah. him only play like the way Terry Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is supposed to be playing every week, so I mean, I don't know. I mean, me and you are on the same page. I, I told I was I was I was telling you about Burrow. So yeah, I, you I, yeah, you were told you. Yeah, told I, me I was telling you the, the ball placement this guy puts on passes is just something I don't see from college quarterbacks from week to week. I, I told you this this weekend, but I've never seen a player like I dismissed Joe Burrow early in the season because I watched him all last year. I right know. He was average. Yeah. So I was like, when you're telling me about Joe Burrow, I'm like, is that dude even an NFL prospect? Like, like, oh yeah, he might have had a couple of nice games, but once the SEC play starts, like, I, you know, I don't expect the LSU offense all of a sudden to be dynamic. But, I mean, you were 100% right. You know, credit to uh, Ed Orgeron. They brought in Joe Brady as a passing game coordinator, and that offense is really – you know, really took off. Now, some people, the only question mark with Burrow is, is he kind of a one-hit wonder? Is he a, is he a gimmick? You know, is this a one-offense type of thing that, mm-hmm. that he can only thrive in? Because in other offenses, he was less dynamic. But I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, what I do know is the numbers in this season have been spectacular. And maybe you should craft your offense in the NFL around Joe Burrow, whatever they've done, they, whatever they've done at LSU. But... Um, but yeah, he, he's been tremendous. Like I said, I've never seen this before. The development from year three to year four. Mm. Um, as, as, as the, with the, talk about the massive success that Joe Burrows had this season, it's kind of flitting and then go to the opposite of success, which has been the New York Knicks this season, really for the, this, these, this millennium. <laughs> um, but, uh, that is where we're headed now. So the New York Knicks. No longer have David Fizzo as their head coach. He was fired. Um, they're 4-19. It's a complete debacle. 
right now, Mike Miller, the uh, former G League head coach and assistant coach currently on the team, is now the interim head coach. Easy. How many? How many Mike Miller? Former Miami Heat jokes have you seen? Fam, I saw so many people who like just were like, they like they didn't know that there was the other Mike Miller. <laughs> yeah, they weren't joking. They, they were they were tagging the Mike Miller, who's the head, who's the assistant coach at Memphis, who won championships with the Miami Heat. They were they were they were jokes about how man Knicks don't give a f. They just <laughs> Mike Miller, <laughs> not knowing that not knowing a that he's actually coaching. So that while it would have been crazy, like. It would have been the most craziest thing in the world. Right, yeah. Like, I mean, but, yeah. But also the fact that, like, no, this is a different Mike Miller. It was clear to people who thought they were got away with the Miami Heat. Like, some of you thought Nick just ran away and grabbed some player from five, six years ago and said, yo, you're the head coach now. Um, yes, I did see a lot of but that. But honestly, like, if any team's going to do it, who would it? It would be the Knicks. Oh, absolutely. The Knicks, they've done they, it before. They've some cockamamie thing about, yo, man, James Wiseman will be interested in 10 years when he's a free agent. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Um, but on that same, uh, uh, you know, on that same idea, apparently, according to uh, Ian Bagley and Howard Beck has also spoken about it, the Knicks are extremely, extremely interested in Busai Jerry. That's fascinating because as I sit here um, right now, Steve Mills and Scott Perry have jobs. I assume that's not going to be for much longer. I think they should be gone now, but... That seems to be it seems to be they're gonna let these guys play this year out and then see what happens uh, in the off season. And despite what would seem to be common sense, Masai Ujiri is in fact apparently intrigued by the idea of of fixing the Knicks. That is according to Howard Beck. He said the chance to build something from scratch and not insignificantly by the opportunity uh, to elevate his giants of Africa philanthropy uh, by working in the New York uh, market or ideas that 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 do interest Masai. He did not um he did not, you know, sign his contract extension that they offered him and not there hasn't been another one offered to him. And his contract runs out uh through twenty twenty one. So there's a lot of chatter about Masai Jerry. Frank Isola was the first one to say that the Knicks would absolutely be interested in Masai Jerry to 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 run their basketball operations. That and another thing that's been kind of floated out there too, Kendall, has been Masai Ujiri f- somehow has a relationship with Giannis Antetokounmpo. I don't quite understand it. I still haven't quite seen the link, other than these are two men of African descent. But the idea also from the Knicks brass is that they feel like getting Masai Ujiri helps their chances. <laughs> I can't even when I Kendall, even when I say it. I just laugh because I'm like, yo, here we go again. <laughs> it's like, if we get this guy, then now well, our chances with this other guy. Well, I've been it, saying this now for like we're going five, a step six years. Further. We're going a step further. You heard what Stephen A. Smith said on yes, first Yes, and that's to add on to the fact that Stephen A. Smith, shout out to him, he pointed out that the Knicks, in terms of a head coach for the future, are interested in Jason Kidd because they think Kidd would help their chances at signing Giannis Antetokounmpo, even though it was widely reported that the Bucks hated Jason Kidd. A lot of the players hated him. It didn't seem like Giannis was among the players that was in his corner <laughs> before he got fired. And Giannis's game went to a whole other level as soon as Jason Kidd was out the, win- out the door. Now, so, look, Giannis was upset when he got fired. He was? Okay, I didn't I didn't. Yeah, he was upset. That. I kind of remember that, you know. Remember, Jason Kidd was kind of the guy that, you know... Like they had a pretty good relationship, from what I understand. Um, 
I now I agree that you know I don't know <laughs> why because he, he, he stifled his game. <laughs> yeah, he he back in some um, and he became MVP once Kid left. But uh, but yeah, like from a personal standpoint, Giannis is a fan of Jason Kidd. From what I understand, I mean, whether or not that means he was time with the Knicks. Yeah, uh, I mean. If the, look, if the Knicks come out of this with Masai Ujiri as, you know, president, GM, guru, whatever you want to call him, and Jason Kidd is head coach, that's not a complete loss. That is, you'll take it and you'll you'll say whatever. Uh, if they if they come out with that if they come out with that result only to get Giannis, that's a that's. I mean, it could be a backward success because I don't know if that's the that should be their mindset, but um, I don't think that that would get them Giannis Antetokounmpo. Maybe I look. I don't know the what the behind the scenes talk is about this, but I just I just don't feel like like Giannis would would sign with the Knicks because of Jason Kidd and uh, and Masai Ujiri. I that's what people have. That's what the Knicks in particular, but also Knicks fans have to get out of their, get out of their head that like guys don't sign with teams. Based on who's employed there. Yeah. Specifically based off who's employed there. It never happens. Like I, I like I've heard like the number one thing guys care about more or less from what I could tell is like franchise, like stability, friend, like, Winning culture, like those are the kind of thing, because they're basketball players at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And then after that, all the other stuff, they're just added factors. You know, the only thing that I, the only time I've seen that not be a thing really is LeBron. You know, and it, it, that wasn't the case with Miami. But when he went back to Cleveland, obviously they had no winning culture. You know, he went to the Lakers, right. like that stuff. It was all ulterior motives with LeBron. Mm-hmm. But almost every other free agent situation, it's about. You know, it's about, I say two order. things: it's culture and who's on the team. Yeah, exactly. You know the 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 roster, right? You know, and like I know as a Celtics fan, I've heard for years, I've heard since I since I've been a Celtics fan that the Celtics can't lure free agents because Boston and nobody wants to play there, and they've never signed a big free agent. We hired Brad Stevens, has no connection to anybody. Yeah, and we end up getting Al Horford. Well, yes. We, then after that, I will say we did sign Gordon, Gordon Hayward, who I guess does have a connection to Brad Stevens. But I don't think we signed Gordon Hayward because of Brad Stevens. I think we signed Gordon Hayward because we were a good team, and Brad Stevens being his boy helped. So that's what and the this all season you signed Kemba Walker, who clearly obviously. has no. Yeah, yeah. Then we signed Kemba Walker. Brad so the, the idea that Boston can't lure free agents, there's no reason why the Knicks can't do what the Celtics have done. They're in New York. They're the friend. They're a team where if you win a championship, your brand goes up to the nth degree. But you've got to win games. You've got to at least show signs of progress. The Knicks haven't done that in 10, 15 years. Like Amari Stoudemire took the plunge, and after that, Melo took the plunge because Amari was there in part. Exactly. You know, it like. You, I mean, you can maybe you can get lucky and say Giannis will be the guy who wants to take the plunge also, but hopefully you can build maybe hopefully you can build around R.J. Barrett, build a competent basketball team first, 
And then you can start worrying about, all right, who are we going to sign? Because that's what the Nets did. The Nets weren't like this whole time. We're going to do everything we can to get Kyrie and KD. They didn't bring in D'Angelo Russell so they to help get Kyrie. They didn't bring. They didn't, you know, draft Karis Avert and bring in Spencer Dinwiddie to help get Kyrie and Durant. They they brought those guys in to win games and, you know, develop their culture. And once that happened, Kyrie and KD, they were a part of that. That's what they were the results of that. So, honestly, that's what the Knicks should focus on. Um, but what do you think about the season? I mean, to me, look, I mean, if you, if the Knicks are somehow get Masai Jerry to run basketball operations, that would be a tremendous coup. Um, uh, by hook or crook, I don't care how it means you got to pay him crazy amounts of money. I don't care. It's not my money. Uh, that and, and to me, the other thing is he has to have full basketball autonomy. You can't be, have any Dolan meddling. There's been a lot of Harold Beck's been pushing this idea that Dolan still is meddling a lot, despite reports saying he isn't. So I don't really know what to believe. Um, I don't believe that. But you don't. You think that he's not meddling that much? I, I, don't, I don't think. think I, don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so either. Player. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. It's no. I'll, look, shout out to Sauerbeck. I have no beef with him at all. But like the line he put in there was also kind of like tinged with like animosity towards Nick blogs and Nick fans who keep like yelling at people like him and Isola and. Uh, Stephen Stephen Bondi about like their negative coverage of the team, so that also kind of made me kind of raise my eyebrow. And I I am not a Dolan apologist or a Dolan fan at all, but that did kind of it did was kind of odd that he threw in a shot at those people while also saying that Dolan is still endlessly meddling with the team. That doesn't make sense to me, but um, I I don't be, be, uh, believe that either. But if, if that is still a question, it cannot be a question by the time Masai Jerry is here, if he is indeed the team uh, president. Um, he's shown to me to be the kind of guy that can build the championship program from the ground up. I think he was uh, on his way to doing a really good job in Denver. And then he was—he clearly has done a, just a tremendous job in Toronto. So he's got a proven track record of building rosters. And people keep linking him to Giannis, but the reason why I like Masai so much is it has nothing to do with anything to do with recruiting free agents. So I'm sure he his him being a stable basketball uh, mind, a, a respected figure in the NBA would certainly help. My What excites me is I feel like the Knicks have lacked uh, an identity and a winning culture since Jeff Van Gundy left. And when you tell me what, what do the Knicks hang their hat on as a basketball team, I couldn't tell you for 20 years. I couldn't tell you. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Are they a defensive team? I don't know. Do they run up and gun? I don't know. Man, D'Antoni, they were shooting a lot of threes, and then they changed that. Uh, they, they they were, I guess you could say, they, the only thing you could say, well, they were Melo-centric. Like, Melo was their superstar. He was their guy. That's probably the only identity you could really identify, no pun intended, with this particular franchise. What I like about Masai is building a program you know i almost talk about it like like college basketball teams like that's what the knicks really need and i think that's what they're going to need when you get a head coach uh, the coaches i'm looking at i'm not looking at necessarily big names i'm not looking at people who you know are celebrities you know kenny smith was like number two on the on the vegas odds to who to be the knicks head coach which i i think that's just obviously just vegas playing the numbers of who people will 
bet on to be the head coach. But even a name like Mark Jackson, who I, I'm not really in support of, I don't need your big name, the sexy name, or anything like that. I just want a coach who has a history of building programs without elite talent. Because the Knicks do not have elite talent. Uh, and, and what they have to do is they're going to have to craft these these uh, the, 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 these this, this uh, group of coal, this pile of coal, and turn them into diamonds. And we've seen, we seen Masai do that in Denver, and we've certainly seen him do it in Toronto, especially when you see the way that boy Pascal Siakam is playing this year, um, the way Fred Van Vliet is played this year, the way um, OG Ananubi is played. Like, it's kind of remarkable to see these guys, so you didn't know what they were, and now you see them playing change-caliber basketball. That's the kind of that's the kind of players the Knicks need. Like, we kind of get enamored by, oh, Knicks need to get these star players. Nick basketball at its finest was not about chasing stars. Nick basketball was, you know, taking unheralded John Starks and turning them into a starting shooting guard. Taking, uh, you know, Charles Oakley from Virginia Union, trading for him, trading a, a, an all-star caliber center, a guy who had made it, you know, had been a, a, a starting caliber center, rather, in, 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 uh, in, my, in Bill Cartwright. It was, you know, taking Anthony Mason, who was undrafted. It wasn't about getting the, the high-priced elite talent. It was about rough and tough, tumble guys who they developed and, and, and they had confidence in and that represented the city and represented the way basketball should be played at that in that era. That's what the Knicks need. And to me, Masai can present that. I think they need a coach who can present that. And Did you hear, uh, did you hear Dick Vitale's uh, suggestion for the Knicks coach? I did not hear what Dick Vitale had to say. What did Dick Vitale, Dick Vitale say about the Knicks? He said the Knicks got they got to bring back a guy who uh, who represents Nick Pride. Who do you think he's talking about? Patrick Ewing. That's what you would think if you think college coach Nick Pride. He he was talking about Slick Rick Pitino. No, no, you can't do that. Well, Rick Pitino, man, look, he's, you want to talk about getting Giannis? But <laughs> is his team like five and thirty-eight in Greece? <laughs> I, I thought his, his team won the his team oh, won the, okay. the Greek. I think they won the Greek Champions. Sorry, I just I just threw Tino's name under the bus un- unnecessarily. I'm sorry. I, I thought his team you would think his team would be five and six. I don't know why I thought I saw a story about him team being trash. Maybe they're not trash. Sorry, Rick. But Rick Pitino was named the coach of the Greek national team for the world for the Olympics. So Rick Pitino wasn't a good Knicks coach. Well, look, that's that, that's 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 beyond uh that's beyond, you know, what he's done in Greece, but I mean, but uh, isn't that shouldn't that be like a basic that should be relevant, you a basic think, yeah. relevant information? I mean, okay, he to be fair, he he has a he has he did have a plus plus fifty percent winning percentage. Um, it's a lot better than a lot of these other coaches. That is fair. First year was bad. Second year was better. Um, was good. I'm not that's better. But like, I mean, I don't, do people think Nick's pride and think Rick Pitino? <laughs> I think I told that. Who thinks that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Celtic Pride when I think Rick Pitino. I think that much. <laughs> I definitely don't think anybody thinks Celtic Pride I think Rick Pitino. To me, like, look, here's the thing. I've heard a lot of people talk about Becky Hammond. Becky Hammond, I think, has the potential to be. She's interested. In, in, she's interested. Yes, and the reports are that she's interested if Knicks hire a uh, competent long term general manager to accompany her in her long term deal. Uh, Becky Hammond, I think, has shown that she has potential to be a really solid NBA coach in the future. I certainly, sincerely hope 
she becomes an NBA head coach at some point. Not just for herself, not just for what franchise that gets her, but just for our society. That would be really awesome if that happened. Or any woman became an NBA head coach. But I don't wish the Knicks, I don't wish the New York media, and I don't wish, I hate to say it, I don't wish this fan base on Becky Hammond. I don't think that this city is ready for that. And sometimes it ain't fair. It's not a reason why Becky shouldn't be considered. But I think you really do have to look at the idea that we have a, 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 a fan base, excuse me, a franchise that is not that stable. Um, their PR department is a complete mess. Every time they, they, they seem to be screwing something up every other week, they're fighting Richard Jefferson or, or you know, they fired Fisdale and they don't thank him. They just say, you know, he's, he's fired. Bye. Like, like it's, they're not, they're not ready for that kind of moment. And, and to me, this New York media core, the coverage team is not ready for this moment because they're so negative. They're so cynical. I don't need to see the ridiculous back page headlines. I may see with Becky Hammond. If the team doesn't do well, we don't need that. And this fan base, they, uh, there are, there are certainly, there have been large swaths of the fan base that have shown a lot of patience, especially over these last few years. That patience has definitely run out this year. Um, but at times, the fan base has kind of been, they've kind of been quick to kind of hit the panic button. And again, patience is going to be needed for that kind of thing. I wouldn't want to see this New York fan base dealing with Becky Hammond. I don't think that the fan base as a whole is mature enough for that kind of thing. As a whole, not the majority of it, not everyone but as a whole when you combine everybody's voices i think there are too many negative voices in the fan base that don't need this so i i don't want becky to be the coach of the knicks purely for that from basketball i'd have no issue with it i love her pedigree um she has a relationship with Matt square garden which is why i think she would be interested because she played for the liberty for a very long time um so all that makes sense and Spurs, you know, the Spurs kind of background, that's all. Same thing I talked about with program building. I like that idea. Just don't think that this situation is right for her. I told you, Kendall, now these are two guys that have jobs. So I got to use that caveat saying these two guys may not be available. But the two guys who I'm looking at, if I had to, if, if in the perfect world, in a realistic world, who I want to be the next Nick head coach, I gave you two guys. One guy that I think is more realistic. The other guy, not as realistic, but would be my number one choice. First guy, Dwayne Casey. Detroit is in the midst of a disappointing start to the season. Not really by Dwayne Casey's fault per se, because Blake Griffin missed half the season so far. He is playing now, so we'll see how things go. But I think Dwayne Casey makes a lot of sense. I don't know how that worked with him and Masai, though, since he, Masai fired him. But if Masai is even a possibility. But Dwayne Casey knows about building a program, knows about getting teams to play the right way. And when you see the development of these young guys in Toronto, you see even the development of that coaching staff in Toronto. Dwayne Casey, we always talk about DeMar DeRozan being the, the forgotten man. Dwayne Casey is the forgotten man. Uh, Toronto basketball, again, kind of like Knicks, no identity before Dwayne Casey got there besides Vince Carter. So I think that that's the kind of, and I think he did a great job with Detroit last year, a team that people thought was dead in the water. You got Blake Griffin playing the best ball he's played in years. Um, that's the kind of coach... Not a big name, not a sexy name, not a guy who's won a million championships or a guy who's a nice soundbite. Just a solid NBA coach with a great background who knows about developing talent, who knows about getting teams to play the right way. And and is a good, very solid tactician. Casey, 
I think he's realistic because if Detroit continues to kind of stumble, I can see them hitting the panic button and sign, firing the coach. So if he got fired, I'd be no problem with him being the Knicks' head coach. My second guy, who I think is very unrealistic, but I'm holding out some hope that maybe things can turn in our favor like I get him. I think Mike Malone would be an excellent, excellent choice to be the Knicks' head coach. He has another guy, ties to the Knicks. I think he was assistant coach of the Knicks at one point. His dad was certainly an assistant coach of the Knicks, Brendan Malone. So he's familiar with the franchise. Um, talk about getting teams to play a style of play and play in the right way. Malone has certainly developed that in Denver. Um, talk about developing unheralded talent and developing kind of unfinished talent. You see Jokic, you see Will Barton, you see Jamal Murray, you see um, um, uh, Monty Morris. I, I mean... They've got a lot of guys who aren't guys who you looked at as superstars. You know, Murray was a lottery pick, but a lot of these other guys, you kind of didn't know what you were getting from them. And now they have a a, a litany of really talented young players that were developed through the system Mike Malone helped create there. He's been around the league. He knows the game. He's a teacher. I think he'd be a slam dunk home run kind of hire for the Knicks. If somehow Denver maybe trips up in the playoffs. Maybe they get knocked out of the first round. People start to look at their talent and say, hey, how come this team didn't go further? And they get impatient. And maybe they, they, they maybe there's a name out there that jumps out that they feel like, oh, he can get us to the next level. Kind of similar to what happened with Dwayne Casey in Toronto. And Malone became available. I would 100% sign on to Mike Malone as the head coach. Other than that, I'm not really excited about a lot of these assistants that are out there. A lot of these head coaches that are college coaches. I don't, I'm not really excited about any of them. I do not want Mark Jackson as a head coach. I really don't want Jason Kidd either. I'd probably take him ahead of Mark Jackson a little bit, but those are the two names you keep hearing all the time, and I don't want either of those guys. The Look, there aren't many names that I think could, could fix this next team, um, but if we're trying to get creative, um, I would look... Becky Hammond, I think, is going to be a very good coach. Um, I agree there is, there is an awkward fit, I think, being in New York. Um, it could work, but it, I just, even beyond the New York media and the fan base, I, I just don't think James Dolan, I don't think it would work. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> and it's sad that I'm saying that because, like, Dolan, like, you know, it's tough to blame it on him solely, but, you know, I, he'd find a way to mess that situation up. Um... I look at – I would look to the college ranks, given that I think this is a young team that needs a long rebuild. Um, they, I, they can't try any, any of this shortcut stuff. And I feel like bringing Jason Kidd to try and get Giannis or even bringing Rick Pitino to try like and get Those Giannis. guys cannot you – cannot, you cannot hire a coach on the hope that that's going to recruit somebody else. That just can't be done. Yeah, no. Nah. That's why, they, that's why they hired Fizz. 100%. <laughs> Come on. We just did this. <laughs> 100%, man. You know, so I would look. And again, if you if you hire somebody from college, nine times out of ten, that, that has nothing to do with recruiting. Unless they're going to hire, like, John Kyle Perry, um, which if you're going to make him. I know you hate Coach Kyle, so that would never happen for you. But no. um, if you're going to hire him to run the organization, uh, maybe. But. And we already, again, we already went through that situation when they hired Steve uh, Scott Perry. But um, no, I would look at I would look at Tony Bennett 
he probably is number one name on my on my list. Um, younger, uh, boring brand of basketball. That's 100%. the thing, though. The only thing about Tony Tony Bennett that that is unsure to me is the way he's coaching basketball now is nothing like the way the NBA is played. Maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we thought that would be the case with Phil Jackson. You know, that's true. Pulling the puppet strings with the Knicks, and that didn't work out. And look, I don't know if Tony Bennett defended Phil Jackson game, a lot but, of that stuff, by the way. You know, the college game is just a different game, you know, schematically. Like you could, you couldn't play pack-line defense in the NBA. Right, exactly. James Harden would shoot 25 threes, and you, right. you'd be blown up by 30 every night. So, like, those things it would have to be discussed in terms of how he would adjust his style of play. But if you want to talk about a guy who knows how to build a program upon lesser talent, and be continue to be successful. He's the, you know, he's the prime example in college basketball. You know, before that, that guy was Brad Stevens, and we see what his success has been. And I think Tony Bennett now is is the second guy with that, uh, with that with that mantra. Um, Chris Beard at Texas Texas Tech is another guy I would look at, but I. Region fit. I don't think. I don't think it's a good fit from from a region perspective. From I mean, a, to me, I, if I was going to college ranks, the only guy I think I would feel comfortable with for the Knicks would be Jay Wright. I mean, I, I'm not really crazy about any of these college coaches, but he'd be the one I'd be most comfortable with because his teams do play an NBA brand of basketball. They do play four out a lot of times, multiple mm-hmm. guards, interchangeable positions. I'd only hire Jay Wright if I had a lot of talent, and like for the Sixers, I think he'd be a good fit. Knows the city, they have a lot of ready talent, and I think he can really get them to play a high level of basketball with his personality. I, I just don't think that he's inspiring this Knicks team to, to winning any extra games than they, than they should. Another name that's going to be thrown out there that I think should be considered as well is Jerry Stackhouse. Um, Jerry Stackhouse, he is a college coach, but yeah, um, I know he, he just became a college coach, but I, I would, I would consider Jerry Stackhouse as well. The I look, I threw out the idea in terms of president of basketball operations that the Knicks should look at Rich Paul. Yeah, no, I, we, that can't happen. Now, of course, he would have to be interested. I don't know if he is interested. He, you know, he's making a lot more money probably doing what he's doing now. But if he wants to run an organization, like, and he told you, I can get you Anthony Davis next summer. I wouldn't believe him. It's enticing. <laughs> I wouldn't believe him. Why not? He, that's his, I don't believe. That's his client. I don't believe. Shout out to Rich Paul. I don't believe he will do anything that's going to hurt LeBron James. I don't. I think that he. I think he could be the Knicks head coach, and he would. I mean, he would be Knicks general manager, and he would still. He'd well, be trying to win. I'm not saying he's going to sabotage the Knicks. I'm just saying keep it 100. he's going to do everything in his way to, to avoid doing anything that may make the King's life a little more difficult. If we keep it 100, in Cleveland, I mean, he got J.R. Smith and Trisha Thompson those deals at, like, max money. That's Bad what I'm saying. Man. I don't want them guys. But that didn't help LeBron. That didn't help LeBron in the, in the slightest. I'd argue LeBron. Well, so that's my second point. That you're, you're actually going right to my second point. And that's an interesting thing you bring up. Because my second point was, I've seen GM Rich Paul. I've seen right, GM, because right. guess what? Every time the, the Cavs or the Lakers trade 
10 guys in the trade deadline, that's Rich Paul and LeBron. GM Rich they, Paul got, you, got the Lakers LeBron, uh, AD, and KCP. Look, this is, the, this is the first time GM Rich Paul, GM LeBron has done anything right. Let's be keep it 100. LeBron, all-time great player, one of the greatest of all time, yada, yada, yada. We can talk about that while also talking about the fact that when they when they got uh you know a Larry Nance and Jordan Clarkson, he was like, yo, we got a squad now. Then they got swept by the Warriors in the, in the finals. GM LeBron has not been a good GM. Now, when it comes to star pairing, he's been fantastic. He, he was smart and putting together with him and Wade and Bosch. He was smart, you know, Rich Paul working behind the scenes to make sure AD got to the Lakers. He knows about star pairing, but in terms of actual team building, he was telling them, yo, we got to sign Tristan Thompson to $90 million or else we're going to be in a bad situation. And now he's not there. Tristan Thompson is still destroying the, the Cavs' cap space. Like, look, all I'm saying he, is uh, if, if, if we are going to do the shortcut stuff, that that's that's the one that would work. If 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 you told me that Anthony Davis was was going to was going to New York, but I also so, think, but I disagree because I also I after the Marcus Morris thing, I have questions about how well and Rich Paul is probably unfairly targeted with a lot of really nasty stories about him. Not to quote the president, but like, how well liked is he? Like, oh, he's hated. Okay, so my thing Rob is, Lee, so so that is also, Rob that, that also becomes a hurdle. But yeah, but Rob Plinka, when you have the king in tow, it makes your life a lot easier. The Knicks don't have but, anybody but in tow. that's the point. I'm saying if Rich Paul can guarantee you a superstar. I just don't think he can guarantee me Anthony Davis. I don't I don't foresee why Anthony Davis Look, on a 21-3 and three Lakers but I'm is going to leave I'm saying to go to Rich the Knicks. Paul Rich Paul is going to advise him of that. If Rich Paul comes to me and says, yeah, I want to be the GM of the Knicks, I, I don't know who we can bring in, but I think it would be cool. I, then I, I, don't know, the door I don't know what to tell him. I'm saying if he says, let me run the organization, Anthony Davis will be a Nick, and look, Ben Simmons may ask for a trade to New York. Like, those types of things, I would, I, I would, I would consider that over whatever else. Over this hope that Masai Ujiri and whatchamacallit can get Giannis. Okay, but my point is that if that's it, it, like but, that but my thing is if Masai strikes out on Giannis or if Rich Paul strikes out on Nancy Davis, who would I rather have running my team? Rich Paul or Masai Ujiri? I mean, is that even an argument? Is that even a discussion? Like now, there's always going to the be thing. some educated, some some the calculated question. risk about. Sign any of these guys with something that someone else is going to come. The Knicks, again, they just went through this because they thought that they had Kyrie and Kevin Durant in tow with the guys they have right now. And those guys are about to be shown the door because they couldn't deliver. So I can't guarantee, I can't work under any guarantees. These guys were guaranteeing that they were getting the other guys. Now, you'd have to pair Rich Paul with a legitimate, you'd have to pair him with a legitimate like basketball seasoned basketball executive um operations executive and there are plenty of those out there that that know the game but rich paul would get you guys in a heartbeat he would like he would get players to sign with the knicks he's poaching players from other agencies every day it seems like like he's the most amongst players he's the most popular agent in the league 
right now. So, I, I don't know. I, I just... You want to make the Knicks seem cool again? It would be... I don't I want them to be cool. And I want them to be a good basketball team. Think about the media. I would say Rich Paul is a very, very well-liked individual in the media. Uh, I don't think that. Be- because I, LeBron. I totally disagree with that. I think that he's Rich polarizing. Paul, Rich Paul he's polarizing. takes as much arrows as any agent I've ever seen. He's polarizing. And it's in he, the media. But I would say so I, don't, I don't agree with that. If if you're pro, I, it's rare. It, it's hard to find people that are pro LeBron and anti Rich Paul. And right, but I don't. I don't think. I see so you're, you're gonna have a lot of people saying, that are but, they're gonna be uh, all those people that are pro LeBron and are pro. You know his movement, the you know the athlete first movement, the the uninterrupted movement, the clutch sports movement, whatever you want to call it. Those people are not going to be pro Knicks, and I, I mean, I think they need some good press at this point. Will oh, some people be like this is a clown show, years. or this is a circus? Maybe. But, but Kendall, you know how it is though. Anytime Knicks do anything, they're always going to be. It's always going to be spun as them being a clown show, whether it's fair or not, because the Nets could do something and it's like, oh, it's a great move. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're 23 minutes the chest. The Knicks do the same move. It's like, oh, what are they doing? It's like, it's always going to be slanted towards clowning the Knicks because that's just what it is with this 20 years of ineptitude. And in a sense, like, if you're just going to try to just take a hot take, just swipe in the dark about what is going to happen when Knicks do anything, if you guess it's going to end horribly, You've been right almost every time. So it also is smart for people. They're, they're being smart and they're being calculated by always just clowning Knicks whenever they do anything. So, of course, that's going to happen if they get Rich Paul, a guy who we know his business acumen. We know what he's accomplished. But they're going to go back to he was a guy selling jerseys at the back of his car and now he's running the Knicks. Despite the fact that he's accomplished all the things he's accomplished in his life, that's just what the narrative is going to be. It's not, it's not It's unfair. It's racist. But that's what's gonna happen. So I, I don't think I don't I don't think that you're gonna get a lot of good press. I, I you like you can make the case that yes, LeBron has a lot of friends in the media that prop him up and then in, in, in tow prop up Rich Paul. But Rich Paul takes way more arrows, just like LeBron takes way more arrows than other players too. And I don't think that the amount of propping up Rich Paul would get would be anywhere near as equal to the problem that LeBron gets. And he's gonna take just as much arrows, if not more, if somehow he became the leader of the Knicks organization. But let's we've been on that for a little while. Let's let's move on to talk about uh speaking saying kind of in the player movement ideal, but going back to football, we don't know what the deal is with Odell Beckham, but apparently he ain't happy. Um so he, he's kinda had a, a, a rough year in Cleveland. The team is six and seven and fighting for the playoffs, so it seems unlikely that they'll end up making it. And according to Glade Jazer, Oh, excuse me, Jay Glazer. Okay. What did I say? That was crazy. Um, Jay Glazer <laughs> of Fox Sports. Uh, he's been very open to other teams about how he's unhappy in in, uh, in Cleveland. In fact, uh, apparently the uh, Browns receiver has been going up to opposing coaches before games and telling them to, quote, come get me, come get me. Uh, and that uh, Beckham has also been saying this to other players. Um, and then Glazer added that he doesn't see this relationship ending well. And it kind of uh, led to Baker Mayfield because he always seems... Whenever Baker Mayfield jumps his... Throws his hat into 
the ring into some debate or some controversy, it always seems to end up in a worse position than it was before he before yes. he entered the situation. But Mayfield feeling like he has to say something, um, goes out and and it basically kind of blames a lot of Odell's struggles on the fact that he's been injured, which is true. He's been dealing with a sports hernia injury, but instead of you know a measured approach at the obvious distraction, the obvious controversies surrounding Odell Beckham, he just threw uh, just a, a canister of gasoline onto the fire by saying that the injury that Odell Beckham is dealing with, quote, wasn't handled right by the medical staff. He said he's not able to run as well as he should be able to, as well as he knows he can, and that's frustrating for him. You can sense some of his frustration when that where that comes from. It wasn't handled the right way in our training room. It is what it is. He's not 100%. Uh, his hundred, his not 100% is still good enough for us. Um, he later then had to obviously clarify those remarks because that's crazy. Because um, he said then, my intentions were not to throw our medical staff under the bus, which is just not true. Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's not true, to be fair. The result was that's not true. The result was that he did throw them under the bus. His intentions, only he knows his intentions. No, I don't know all the facts about Odell Beckham's injury. Uh, it was emotionally answered because I sense his frustration. I care about my team and putting my team in the best position. Those people within our building know my intentions and where I am coming from. I truly believe that that, and I apologize to those that don't deserve the backlash. Today was a good team win. On to the next one. So, Kendall, you had the two-pronged controversy. It started with Odell Beckham and his continuing displeasure, apparently, it seems, with being in Cleveland. And then... Baker Mayfield's absurd comments. Where, how do you see this all playing out in the end? Um, I don't think Odell will be at Brown next season. Um, the, the the chirping is getting a little too loud, a little too public. Um, and to be honest, he looks miserable, man. If, like, if you watch he the does. games, I have him on my fantasy team. So, like, I've needed him to be productive. And I've watched a lot of Brown games and, you know, waiting for him to be productive, and he just does not look happy. And I don't blame him. The team has been putrid. And, I look, I didn't know about the injuries. Maybe that's why he's looked as bad as he has. But, you know, him and Baker Mayfield just have not connected on the field. Uh, in some ways, Jarvis Landry has been more productive than Odell. Um, we thought that pairing would be elite. And it's... And their running game has been stronger than their passing game. So a lot of been a lot of issues in Cleveland revolving around Odell. But um, and I don't think it's a deal of like Odell has been a problem child. Like that was the issue in 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 New York. Um, he just but I don't think that's the situation here. I think he just hasn't been happy and he has been productive. I don't think he's throwing a fit, but you know he just wants to be somewhere else. Um, I disagree with the people that feel like he's like he's like this has been a a, a whatchamacallit, like an A B where like he he he's never wanted to be in Cleveland. Um I, I don't think he's I don't think he's wanted to be in Cleveland since they started losing games. I think he realized this is this is kinda of boring. And I think he shut down a little bit mentally. I think when he first got traded, I think there was some excitement of you know this could be special and that's the way people were talking I, I never bought it i thought it was nonsense but people thought this team could have been a, a contender and 
they're they're not they're obviously they're not that but um he's because they got off to that slow start they shut down a little bit realized the browns he like, he's never been this embarrassed and that's saying something considering he was on the giants and played in the new york market but that thing of like when you're bad and you're on the cleveland browns it's more embarrassing so like yeah i think he wants to be somewhere else if he wants to compete which he hasn't done in a long time really ever but he hasn't done uh at all in a long time so um uh, those teams, I mean, the, I expect the Patriots will be involved. You know, San Fran, New, or- New Orleans, the the elite teams that they will reach out. Baltimore as well. Um, on that last part, I think that not the very last part, but before the very last part, uh, I disagree. I think that Odell has not wanted to be a Brown since he got traded, and I think he's acted like he hasn't wanted to be a Brown since he got traded. Um, he's not. I think Odell has a good heart. And I think Odell is a good person from what I've seen. So he's never going to act like A.B. when he's unhappy. I I would more compare how he's been acting to Kyrie Irving um, and the way I kind of gather it. And it's just, you can kind of see it during the games. It's kind of distant, kind of aloof. Doesn't seem very engaged. That you know, Kyrie was like that in Boston and even sometimes in Cleveland, visibly to us, though not as much. That seemed to be more behind closed doors. That is how I've seen Odell really since the beginning. I felt like all the excitement around Odell to Cleveland was with Baker, was with his very good friend, Juice Landry, was with the fan base. I never felt like Odell matched that energy. And the idea that this whole offseason he spent, instead of talking about his new team and how exciting it was, he kept talking about how when they sent him to Cleveland, New York sent him to die. Like, like to me, that don't sound like a guy who thinks very highly of his new place. If he thinks that the place that sent him there thought that this was purgatory for him. I think he was being honest, but I, I don't think he, I think he think he wanted anything to do with the city of Cleveland. This guy is Hollywood. And I'm not, it's not a diss to him, but he is Hollywood. He is big city kind of dude, big city personality. He didn't want anything to do with Cleveland. I think he was going to try to play along because he thought they could win. And if it was great, then he would have a great time playing there. But that's none of Cleveland just doesn't seem to fit Odell. I never seemed to fit him from the beginning. They couldn't, they didn't know, they couldn't seem to get him into practice to start this training camp, not training, but mini camp and preseason and OTAs. It was always about where's Odell? Why can't we get him here? And he's like, you know, and the, 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 the I think the Browns played with Cliff Gloves. Well, you know, we like him here. It makes sense. He's brand new. He's working with a new quarterback. He hasn't worked with yet. We don't know why he's not here, but hopefully be here when the stuff is mandatory. And to his credit, for the most part, he was there when the stuff was mandatory. But you think that when things are brand new and you want to, you have a reputation of being a locker room killer for better or for worse, you would think you're going to put your good, your best foot forward from the start. And he never did that. And then when I watched him playing. He just never seemed as engaged as I'm. I mean, Odell Beckham is the kind of dude that wears his heart and his emotions on his sleeve. And he can't hide to me when he's unhappy. Some guys can hide it. Some guys can go out there and just play the game. Um, they, we've seen NBA guys do that. Where we wouldn't have known guys. No, Paul George demanding a trade. Like, I wouldn't have thought that, he, that was coming down the pipe. But he's, to me, the kind of professional where he can just go out there, ball, and then also not want to be where he is. Odell is not that kind of guy. So... 
from week one, I just, I'm looking at him, I'm like, he don't look like a guy that's completely engaged. Part of it, I'm sure, is the injury. I, I, I'm 100% sure that that's at least a, a piece. I don't know how much of a percentage, but that's certainly a percentage of his unhappiness. But that also lends itself to maybe him not wanting to be there from the beginning because he's like, okay, I'm playing through this injury. I could have got surgery and maybe been out for the first two or three weeks of the season and then been fine for the rest of the season. Instead, I'm playing through this pain that's also hurting my numbers. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I never, I've never seen a guy that looked happy where he is, so this is not surprising at all. I agree. I do not think he'll be a member of the Cleveland Browns next year. I mean, I'm hoping against hope that the Jets do whatever it takes to get Odell Beckham. I think that bring him back to New York where he was happy before, where he'll have the fans in the spotlight and give him a, a Maserati kind of quarterback like Sam Darnold who has all the talent in the world and just needs that kind of equally matched talent with him. And I think that can be special things. I don't know. I don't know what to make from Skip Bayless, but he's saying that he wants to go to Green Bay. I have no idea how Skip Bayless has sources with Odell Beckham's camp, but he says that's what he's hearing, that he wants to play with Aaron Rodgers, which we which would go against everything I'm saying about Cleveland just not being for Odell. But I don't know. Maybe he maybe he feels better about Green Bay considering he's playing with one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever live. The Jay Glazer report doesn't seem to suggest that he has one preferred destination. It doesn't. It seems like he's just like, get me out of here. Right. Get me like, out of here. He's like, I don't get, I, I would love to know the team that he was playing against. I said, he told him to come get me. Because I'm looking at the schedule now. The regular season games. Um, week one, they played Tennessee. They got blown out. He, I don't think he would have reacted that soon. I don't think he would have given up that soon. Week two, they beat the uh, the Jets. Yeah. Uh, so that's one of the teams you mentioned, potentially. But they won that game, so it would be kind of strange. But then at week three, lost to the Rams. Uh, week four, they beat the Ravens. Week five, this is when it starts to get like, all right, maybe maybe he wants out. Because week five, get destroyed by San Fran. Week six, you lose to Seattle. Week seven, you uh, get blown out by New England. I guarantee then, you New England game, he definitely was telling them to get him. The way he was talking point. to Tom Brady and hugging him and stuff, that wasn't, yeah. that wasn't normal. Right. Now, you don't, you, don't, you don't be hugging up another opponent like that that you have no connection to. It's probably one of those <laughs> it didn't make three. any sense. Yeah, probably one of those three. Yeah, that's when the losing started to get bad. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't uh, shout out. I wouldn't uh, count out Pittsburgh either. Yeah, they played Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, I, so. I can see him. Yeah, Il Tomlin, man. That's that's. You, like, you lost. You lost AB. Like I can come in and not be. I can be you know, only ten percent as crazy as AB, but give you pretty much the same production. And then you guys are back into the Super Bowl picture if you guys get a quarterback. That'd be some snake stuff, man. You do that to a division opponent. I don't I don't think Odell thinks of the game like that. I mean, you okay. can argue that that's the case. I wouldn't put it past him. Now, if that makes him a snake or not, I'm not really going to get involved in how you feel about that. I don't really know how I feel about that. But I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me. wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, Garrett Cole, man, he's about to be a rich man. In Major League Baseball, starting pitcher. He's already rich, man. But oh yeah, yeah, he's he's about to be really, really rich, even in baseball terms, um, because he he's awaiting you know uh, a massive deal. Uh, reportedly, this deal that he will get will be north of three hundred million dollars. Uh, that offer was reportedly uh, given to him by the Yankees. 
it's already surpassing the well surpassing the, the 200 and change uh 250 million dollars i believe that strasburg got in his deal to stay in washington um there are apparently mystery teams involved as well one of those teams has uh, you know reportedly been identified as the actual astros which is interesting um and now you're hearing reports that Ken Rosenthal is saying that the team is maybe uh, considering trading Carlos Correa uh, to clear up payroll, which that seems to lean credence to the idea that maybe the Astros are trying to get Cole back by offloading some of the players that they have. Kendall, do you think Garrett Cole is, is worth that kind of money for any of these teams? That could, mm. that could potentially be going after him. $300 million for a starting pitcher. I would I think so. Really? I think that's the way the market is going. Like these contracts in baseball aren't they're inflating. You know, they're never gonna they're, they're not shrinking. So I can't it's hard for me to, to say that Garrett Cole who is I mean easily a top five starting pitcher in the league. Um I, you know, you can make the case he's top three. So, like, if we're talking about you get a, you're getting a top five pitcher, starting pitcher. Uh, how old is he? Garrett Cole, I believe, is uh, like twenty eight. I think. Yeah, twenty nine. Twenty nine. Turned twenty nine. Uh, September. So, I I would make that case. Now the question is, is he worth that kind of money for everybody? And, um. I think if, I would only give that money. I would only give him that money if I'm a team that thinks that he's going to take me up a notch, whether that be we're a decent team but we're a contender, or we're a contender but now we're the favorite. So the Angels are one of the teams that are reportedly interested. Do you think the Angels are one of those teams that 300 million makes sense for him? I th- I think so. I think you're bringing back Otani, you bring in Garrett Cole. Now all of a sudden your rotation you add two potential aces to the rotation. Um you already have Mike Trout, you spent the money on Mike Trout. Now look, baseball is no salary cap, so I don't care how much you're paying Mike Trout. If the owner wants the ownership wants to play Garrett Cole also, more power to them. Um I think the the Yankees, I don't know if he's worth it, I'll be honest. Like, I know they want Garrett Cole, they they want the splash. Cashman, I think, needs to splash. I feel like Cashman's starting to get into that Jason Garrett territory where, like, now, to be fair, he he's won a World Series, but, like, at some point, I think the Steinbrenners are going to be like, we're not. Like, we have to we have to win a World Series or else you got to get out of here. But, um, so I think, I think Cashman wants to splash, but I don't think they need to splash necessarily. Um, and I have been surprised that the Astros have been so open to just letting him walk. But it's interesting to hear that they are not back in this race. But I think he's worth it given his age, his production. Um, also helps for the Angels that he's from California. So, Yeah, I mean, to me, I think that at the Yankees print money. So if you told me, look, they were just going to do whatever it took to get him. I mean, I guess I could see how that makes sense. They just, you know, they just ate Ellsbury's contract. Like <laughs> last few years and then just cut them this season. So uh, they've shown that their you know, money is not an object to them, really. I don't know. 
I mean, Garrett Cole is a stud. He's one of my favorite pitchers to watch pitch in baseball. Um, he, he's one of the best in the game. And he seems to be trending upwards. You know, this is a guy who always had a lot of potential, but it seemed to reach another level since he got to Houston. And it's not like you don't think it's a fluke because the talent was always there. So you kind of feel like he's figured it out. And now he's in the beginnings of what could be a dominant run as a, as a lead pitcher in the American League or whatever league. I mean, yeah, he was the number one pick in the draft. Exactly. Um, I, I do question for a team like the Angels if $300 million is worth it. And I, I point to my Mets. Shout out to Jacob DeGrom and big shout out to Brody Van Wagner because they got Jacob DeGrom on a complete steal. If you're telling me Strasburg is worth seven years, $245 million, and Cole can be worth 300 plus, and we have the, the reigning two-time Cy Young winner at a five-year, $135 million contract, that's just stealing. I mean, I don't, I mean, that's part of the reason why I look at this, and I'm like, how could I really justify Cole getting that kind of money? The Mets have the best pitcher. Like, they have a guy better than Cole, a guy better than Strasburg, and they haven't won anything. Look how much Zach Wheeler got, though. I know. It, it, I mean, Zach Wheeler just signed with Philly. He's making a plus, 100 plus million. 120. He hasn't even put together an all star season. And, and the Mets so, fans will tell you. I mean, I can tell you. Uh, he's just pretty much been kind of just. To me, he's like the new age AJ Burnett. Like, there's no reason why the guy can't be an ace type of pitcher. We just haven't seen him do it. Wheeler, right? Yeah, Wheeler yeah. is it's that to me. He's a, he's this era's AJ Burnett. He's not as volatile in terms of being on the mound and the histrionics, but like he, they pitched this, they pitched similar hard stuff, nasty stuff. But for some reason, they don't seem to have necessarily sometimes the greatest mental uh, mental toughness on the mound, which is why I don't know if Philly and Wheeler is a great fit in my opinion, especially in a hitter's ballpark, but that's a conversation made for a different day. Um, that's why I pause with this cold thing, because yes, for the Yankees and maybe even for the Dodgers, like those teams are so far ahead that it, it may not matter how much money you're spending, because those teams, okay, if this doesn't work out, th- th- it's not really going to keep them from spending on the next big guy. But to me, if you're the Angels, like you don't have as many cracks at that apple of going for that mega contract. So if you're going to pick one, I feel like you got to pick a one that's going to make a difference. And I just don't know the starting pitcher is making that difference for you. Because to me, the starting pitcher, as great as he is, that kind of money only really matters once you get into the postseason. Because if they're just, I mean, I love Jacob DeGrom. But seeing him rack up Cy Young Awards for a team that doesn't make the playoffs, it's a nice memory. But what did it really? what's it really doing for you? I don't know what it's doing for the Angels, who I don't know if they just get cold now. I think that they're a playoff team. I still don't think they'd be because the Astros, and they're in their division. Last time I checked, if you don't win your division, it's kind of difficult to make the playoffs because now there's only two wild card spots. I'm just, I don't know. $300 million is a lot. So these teams, yes, you have the Yankees and Dodgers who, who still, people go up to the game, they still make a lot of money. You got a lot of teams in Major Baseball losing money and seeing a lot of empty seats in the ballparks. I don't know if, if Cole is the kind of guy that, as great as he is, being a starting pitcher who only plays 30 games a year, 33 regular season games a year, you know, tops, if, if $300 million, 
and that much of your payroll is worth giving to a guy who plays so few games. Um, can let's quickly do fames and trash. I'll go first. I'm going with DePaul basketball. Man, DePaul basketball, I don't want to say they're back yet, but I've always felt this team has been a sleeping giant. I never understood it. I, I, I kind of understood it. So I know they have really bad facilities. They just got a new arena, so that helps them. Um, but for some reason, they're a team with a rich basketball tradition in one of the best fertile grounds to recruit in the city of Chicago, in the Chicago land area. And for whatever reason, they've been a miserable basketball team for many years. But that's not the case this year. Now, they did suffer their first loss uh, recently to Buffalo, but the team is 9-1. and one, And there is a lot of optimism going into this season that uh, DePaul may, in fact, end up putting together a really solid season. Um, Dave Leo is in his, uh, his his fifth year on his retread run. Yeah, with, second stint. <laughs> yeah, second stint with DePaul. And uh, despite some of this, they got some, he had some minor infractions that he had to deal with. I think he was suspended for a couple games this year. Uh, but they did come off a season where they did win 19 games and did actually uh, go to the postseason. They played in one of those other tournaments, I believe. I don't know if they did, actually. No, they didn't go to the postseason, but they did win 19 uh, games last year, and they did finish with a winning record for the first time in, uh, looks like, 10 years. So things may be trending upward. I mean, I felt like DePaul had great potential to improve the entire conference of the Big East because now you're adding Chicago players as well. So they seem like an important and and, and nice addition, but they, it hasn't really panned out. I'm hoping this can be maybe the start of something. So I'm gonna give a major shout out to DePaul basketball starting season nine and one. Uh, they're my flames for the week. Yeah, man, DePaul. It's it's really shocking to see them. This uh, I mean, DePaul's been a meme in college basketball for a decade, but like to see them even being competent. Is, is is tremendous it is, yeah it is i think it, nobody's everyone's happy for them like nobody you know i think besides me illinois fans <laughs> everyone's like this is this is good for college basketball because they've been so bad and like you said they've had they have the upside of being again with the region and the conference and even some history that it, no reason why DePaul should be as bad as they've been in the last 15 years so i agree with that uh flames for me ej uh is the citrus bowl uh, you may be wondering, obviously, we got a lot of the bowl games announced. We talked about the college football playoff. Uh, so you may be wondering, why is the Citrus Bowl Flames? Well, uh, we have a matchup of Alabama and Michigan, uh, which Alabama, you know, obviously they didn't end the season the way they would have liked, you know, losing two out of their last three, but um, and obviously losing Tua, but they are still – in my opinion, probably one of the five or six best teams in the country. And uh, we have Michigan, who I know EJ said before the, uh, earlier in the show thinks they're a fluke, but they have they are playing really good football late in the season. So this should be a very good matchup. In fact, I think it's better than a lot of the New Year's Six matchups that we've actually gotten uh, this year. You know, we got the Cotton Bowl, which is going to have Memphis and Penn State. Uh, Penn State... Did not it left a lot to be desired at the end of the season. Uh, I, I think this family this Penn State team is that good. Uh, I I know because Pitt played them and uh, you know that Penn State that team be, that Penn State team beat, beat Michigan. Just saying, they did beat they did beat Michigan, but they are not playing good football. Michigan is, but I think <laughs> okay, sure. Um, not the last Memphis time I saw Michigan, is playing good football, okay. but they do not have a coach. 
So, but no, that matchup doesn't really uh, excite me. Um, you know, the the Orange Bowl putting Virginia in the Orange Bowl is a disgrace. Now, I am also an ACC fan, so it's tight. It's it's uh, hypocritical for me to say that when if Pitt was in there, I would be uh, talking about how good of a program we are. But uh, Virginia and, and Florida, not much there. Uh, the Rose Bowl, Oregon, Wisconsin. I feel like we've seen that matchup before, but uh, you know, two programs that I'm not super excited to see play each other right now. So, and then Georgia Baylor, another one. I don't know. And these aren't like bad games. There are they, these games are all on the same level, but I just feel like the it's a, it's an issue if the, if I if I look at the Citrus Bowl and I say it's on the same level as the Sugar Bowl. But good job by them. I mean, look, they, I mean, the Citrus Bowl, I'm sure, is ecstatic. They're going to get a, a bunch of fans to go to that game. Michigan fans will travel. Alabama fans will travel. It's a marquee matchup. The Ravens will probably be great. I agree. It seems like they have the best New Year's Six game. Maybe the section of the uh, Sugar Bowl, that I probably would hold. But everything else, uh, it's a it's going to be a high-profile matchup. I can't see how it's competitive. Because anytime Michigan plays against anybody that's elite, they look like they shouldn't even be on the same field with them. I expect the same thing to happen. But lead up to the game, interest in the game, ticket sales for the game, all should be great. So, Citrus Bowl, I understand being flames. Uh, trash for me, Kendall. Now, it's a caveat. I don't do caveats with my trash often. But I got a caveat with this one just saying it's early and people need to relax. But for now, Michigan State basketball is trash. Um, I watched them play against Duke last week. They look completely hapless. Um, that came after a week before when it looked hapless against Virginia Tech in the first game in Maui. And that came a week before that when they looked pretty hapless against... Uh, it wasn't hapless, but uh, they were they unimpressive. Kentucky, unimpressive against a Kentucky team that then lost to Evansville. So uh, this is kind of par for the course for Izzo teams. They very much seem to struggle early in the season. Um, we've seen that happen before, and then they kind of... They, it's like They're like almost like that prize fighter who's like in camp and like is totally out of shape. Don't worry, by fight night, they'll be ready. Like Michigan State, I'm almost sure, certain by Michigan, by March and late February, they'll be fine. But they're not a good basketball team right now. Um, Cassius Winston, who a lot of people have, have had a lot of attention on, considering he's a senior and he had just a great run in the NCAA tournament and, and in the Big Ten tournament last year. Uh, he looks like he got worse. Um, he doesn't look like he's in the greatest shape. Uh, he's been very inefficient. And it's not the kind of leadership you kind of expect from a guy with his pedigree. Uh, and it seems like Michigan has been unable to kind of find his second banana. You know, Aaron Henry's been very up and down. Uh, Xavier Tillman is is kind of maybe, you know, he's consistent. But to me, Tillman's kind of more of like a third option, really. And he's really yeah. been their second scorer. So where Michigan State finds offense, I'm not sure. And D- against Duke, they look completely hapless. Um, they look like the kind of team that if you chop off the head in terms of the coin guard, which they were able to do with Trey Jones' outstanding defense, they don't seem to know how to get anyone else quality shots. It's early for Izzo's team. They always seem to figure it out. I don't think the team would be much different, but if you watch them now, they don't look anything like the team that was ranked number one in the country, a team you expect to be, uh, considering they were ranked number one in the country. So for them, for they, I'm sorry, Izzo and your team, you guys are trash. Yeah, I mean, I wanna, I, I wanna rag on Izzo and his team. I don't really want to, but like, you kind of have to. But at the same time, 
no one in college basketball is good. You know, like, literally just today, as we're recording this show, two top five teams lost. Louisville and Maryland both went down today. And those were two of the last unbeaten. You know, still a couple left, but... Louisville looked awful against... uh, I mean, they both looked bad. But Louisville looked awful against Texas Tech in the second half. You know, Maryland lost to Penn State. Yeah. Like, that's all you have to say. (laughs) But, um... So, like, yes, Michigan State has looked bad. Uh, The loss of Virginia Tech, I want to say, is bad, but, you know, I don't know. Duke beat that team on the road, but, uh, and Dayton beat them, but, again, I don't know who's good. There's still plenty of time in this season. Uh, This is going, this is, I think, easily the most wide open season we've had in a long time. I agree with that. I like, I think I think the two teams that lost. I mean, I believe in Louisville a lot more than Maryland. Maryland has they they were the worst top five team I've seen in a while. Like just in terms of like I watched them multiple times and every time I came away unimpressed. Yeah, but they won. Maryland Maryland's win. a decent team. I, I think that they were definitely the beneficiary of an easier schedule combined with other teams continuing to lose that found themselves in the top five. Yeah, I think people reluctantly were putting them in the top five. Yeah, I've always thought, I thought Louisville was going to be very good this year. So I think that they're a good team. I don't know if they're the best team in the country, but they're good. Uh, It is going to be interesting. I mean, to me, I think if I had to guess who I think are the good teams this year by the time it's over, um, I think Louisville is one of them. I think Kansas is one of them. I think Ohio State is one of them. That is the top three right now. After that, it gets kind of tricky. I'm not sure what to make of Maryland and Michigan quite yet. Um, I want to believe in the my Zags. I want to, but are they elite? I can't say that quite yet. You get the impression Duke's gonna be there. They look so good against Michigan State on the road. That look like, like they look like a team that maybe was hearing that they were looking very unimpressive and made a statement. So I'll say Look, Coach Duke K is a—he's a master of the mind tricks, man. He's becoming a new Phil Jackson because when they lost to uh, Stephen F. Austin, I mean, he was destroying their team. Just yeah, he was. We stink, you know. Like we're not nearly as good as we think. We're barely a top. He was like saying stuff that was like, "I know you don't believe this, but whatever he said, it worked." Because these the, you guys are not playing with a uh, with an energy they weren't playing with before. For sure. Um, but after but that, yeah, no, after that, it's, it's it's very tough. I mean, I, to me, I'm interested to see what you know Memphis looks like. I agree too. Uh, when we get Wiseman back, you know, we play Tennessee this weekend without him on the road. That should be an interesting environment <laughs> to say the least. But um, if they win that game, then I would feel confident that when we got Wiseman back, we would be very good. But I watched Auburn versus Richmond. They look good, but that's the best team they've played. Richmond. Yeah, they almost lost to Furman. They should have lost to Furman. And they should have yeah. lost to Furman. So, I don't know what to make of Auburn. You know, that was an overtime game. So, it's, yeah, like you said, it's college basketball is completely wide open. Um, all right. Uh, what do you got? Oh, you got trash. What's trash, Kendall? Yes. Uh, so, trash for me has been this college football coaching carousel. Obviously, every year we have... Uh, at the end of the season, coaches getting fired, coaches losing their jobs, coaches getting new jobs, and thus opening up uh, other schools. Um, it's just a revolving door of coaches. And uh, we see it in every sport, but 
uh, particularly in college football and college basketball. But this year in college football, it's been a pretty, uh, what's the word, uneventful, I would say, lackluster, uh, you know, coaching carousel. I would say the most marquee move has been Mike Norvell, you know, leaving his Memphis program that he led this year to the Cotton Bowl and the AAC Championship to uh, to go to Florida State to succeed Willie Taggart over there and hope to try and get that program back on the map. And and then we had Lane Kiffin leaving Florida Atlantic to go to Ole Miss, but none of these moves really have been that exciting, surprising. Well, don't, don't say that to Lane Kiffin's son. That kid was very excited that his dad was leaving Boca Raton, which to me, he clearly hasn't been to Oxford, Mississippi yet. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> I'm like, you that excited to leave Boca to go to Oxford? Uh, I, I think know. he was just I'm all right. He can watch uh, he can watch his games on TV, and they're not on you know CBS Sports Network. <laughs> you don't got down on the app to watch his, yeah. his dad's games. So, uh, <laughs> but um, so yeah, like it's it's just been an uneventful. I mean, Arkansas, which you would think Arkansas had a pretty decent job, they ended up hiring uh, the offensive line coach at Georgia, like the, who's like a fifty something year old that that's never been a head coach. Just a weird hire. You know, Missouri ended up hiring the coach at Appalachian State. I mean, did a good job. He's done a good job recently, but, I mean, it's just... Seems, it seems like very unimaginatory, unimaginary, like, hires. Like, it doesn't seem like they were very much, like, imaginative, sorry. Yeah, imaginative, imagine. yeah. I was like, I know, I know this word. Now. Why can't I say it? Um, it's, Like, I don't know. I could be wrong, but it seems like... Now, Arkansas like, did... Uh, who's a mid-major coach that's doing good? Him? All right. Like, that's what it seems like. I don't know, and which what's strange is that, and now, uh, this is a side note, but Deion Sanders did interview for the Arkansas job, so, like I said, I I, I think he's trying to get into coaching. For oh, real. for sure, yeah. You know I, where it is, I don't know, but what team takes the plunge? But um, it's just strange because last year we saw so many coaches at the college level, like not go to the NFL. And it seemed that, that that meant that, like, college jobs were more coveted than NFL jobs because of security, this, they that, should, and the other yeah, thing. Yeah, I would argue they should be. Yeah. Well, it, but then, like, and maybe it's, but then, like, we didn't, we just didn't see that same energy with, like, guys wanting to go to Arkansas, Missouri, Ole Miss, um, even Florida State. Like, the best they can do is Mike Norvell, and Mike Norvell's a very good coach, but. It's it, it's just maybe look. I think a lot of it has to do with these. A lot of these coaches are just worried, and I won't say scared, but they're worried, concerned about there's a hierarchy in college football. I was going to say the same thing. Is that I think I, I think you're I, me and you agree. I was going to say the exact same the top thing. Five. Is that there's to me, it's like why would I leave to go to these places that are going to expect me to jump into that top five, that upper echelon. When I know it's impossible. Look at Tom Herman. Some people are like Tom Herman, like is on the hot seat, and like he. I, I don't mean, think he should be, but yeah. And I'm not saying whether or not he should or shouldn't be, but it's just like he's coming out of year two. Like he, he hasn't done a terrible job at Texas. I mean, in fact, he had a great first year. But like, they're saying if you're not if you're not competing for a playoff spot, then you're on the hot seat. Yeah. So if you're, if you're at Houston, that wouldn't be a conversation. Right. At so all. if you're in a decent situation. Matt why, Campbell, Iowa State. Yeah, why are you jumping to, you know, and, unless it's a slam dunk? And Texas looks like a slam dunk. 
Like right. it looks like a slam dunk, but for some reason it still seems to be uh, the Rubik's cube for 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 places. Just like Miami seems to be in the Rubik's cube, the Rubik's cube for some places. Like these places seem like slam dunks, but then it's a lot harder than it looks by the time you actually get there. So these coaches, I, I, I think it makes sense. You're in a secure spot. Why would I just jump to a place when I know I can win where I am? I and, forgot, and there's not going to be this expectation that I need to be one of those top schools. I forgot what the context was, but one of these reporters was talking about one of these jobs and was saying essentially that a team, it may have been USC or Notre Dame or maybe maybe even Miami, I forgot, what, but a team has decided to hold on to their coach. And the conversation was that the school and the AD and the athletic department kind of got a feeling that this was a very weak class of coaching candidates so that it wasn't worth it to move on. I'd agree. So like, Based on the guys that were hired? I exactly. Agree. And I'm somebody that, <laughs> you know, I would have been very fine with Pitt making a coaching change. But I can see the the four. I can see I have the four for that. I have the foresight to know that, like, we weren't going to hire anybody that was going to impress me. Because a lot of these teams haven't hired anybody that's going to impress me. And these are schools with more money and bigger names and better situations. So I also uh, feel like these teams also, uh, to me, I think they got to consider the fact that, remember, look at the teams that are in the college football playoff. Ohio State and Oklahoma. Two places that had massive coaching departures. And they just put the assistant in. Yeah. So some of these teams also got to think and consider, I'm running for a coach who was fired somewhere else. Who's to say, like, like there are teams that found success by just getting a guy that was right there. So why so why would I just back the Brinks truck for some guy that hasn't coached in five years or something like that? Like, right. that's a question that I think these people are asking. I think when USC has got to ask, like, you know, we could fire our coach, but, like, and who's to say that we just the next big money guy we get is going to be the answer? These teams are winning with assistant coaches, quote unquote. Well, I, I did read today also that LSU's defensive coordinator Dave Aranda is close to becoming the head coach at UNLV, which is one of the most bizarre things that I've read in a long time. The defensive coordinator at LSU is going to be the coach of UNLV. Yes. Do you have any <laughs> Vegas ties? Not that I know. I don't even know if he has a West Coast bone in his body. I I want to say he may. I think I want to say he comes from he a Texas. Been, he must have got tired of quote, old motivational speeches. I know, he right? Been like, Yo, man, let me just get him the championship and get the hell out of here. He's too. He's too damn positive. <laughs> Vegas. That seems like a right place. That seems like a fun place. Let's go over there. Because you know, you know, me football has been trash for a minute. So I think this year they actually were decent, right? Or last the year, high they, speed. Last year they were I don't, decent. I don't know what they were decent. I mean, they may be. They've been trash for a long time. But then yeah, they, but they're the one of the worst programs in, in, in the country. Yes. I think, like, maybe last year or this year, like, they were, like, not as terrible. He's the right. highest paid coordinator in the country. Are, is, is UNLV trying to say we're trying to be good in football? Yes. Like, seriously good? I'd argue they should. There's a lot of – trust me, as a Miami fan who has – I think three players on our roster, and they're all good players from, from Las Vegas. They should yeah. be good. Like, they should be in the business of trying to be good at football. Yeah, he... So, look, he, I mean, he's the defensive coordinator. I got right? I got he's, State. Yeah. He's from California. So, all right. All right, that makes a little more sense. He was, he was defensive coordinator at Hawaii. 
uh, I guess under uh, June Jones, it looks like. But um, it was maybe before after June Jones. But um, yeah, I'm gonna say them defenses <laughs> were not yeah. were not the story of June Jones June Jones teams. Not to say that he couldn't have still done a decent job, but but this is yeah, this, this is you know you know he has not been in a bowl game since uh, 2013, so. I didn't know they made one in thirteen, but good for them. I would have if you would have asked me, I would have said oh four. They haven't won more than five games since that year, so they haven't been bowl eligible since then. The Tony Sanchez era was not a fun one for them. Yeah, Tony said they tried the Bishop Gorman thing. He was the coach at Bishop Gorman. Yeah, that didn't that didn't work out that well. But right, EJ, yeah, let's do uh, Kendall, Kendall Scorn in the here. So Kendall's court this week. We had a uh, very interesting story in the NFL, a uh, familiar one, depending on uh, how long you've been following the NFL. But uh, the Patriots have been caught up in a video scandal. Let me, let me know uh, say, if you've heard you heard that. Sure, this isn't an old uh, article you're reading. Or? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> is it an old article I'm reading? Because that's gotta find the date. Yeah, exactly. The date says December ninth. Oh, was it 2013 <laughs> or 20, 2005 yeah. or 2001? Yeah. I believe it's 2019, but okay. um, yeah, no. So we have a we have a little bit of a scandal, you know. The the apparently the New England Patriots uh, have been accused of videotaping uh, a Miami, not a Miami Dolphin, a Cincinnati Bengals, uh, Cleveland, uh, yeah, uh, Cleveland Browns uh, game from this weekend. Um, they sent a video crew to, well, they sent a scout there, an advanced scout, uh, and they're doing a documentary series on this advanced scout. Uh, and so they sent a video crew, they got permission from the Browns to send the video crew over there to, you know, film the documentary. And while that process was going on, I guess they were videotaping the the Bengals sideline, if I'm not mistaken. And you know, the coaches or something like that. And they, they did it for eight minutes and the Browns or the Bengals realized what was going on. And they saw the Patriots guy and they were like, I, you know, they called him out on it and reported him to the league or whatever. But now they're not being investigated for that situation. Um, you know, it's a very, very, very interesting topic because, um, I, I I can't tell you. This is from inside the press box, by the way. I, obviously, um, I'm, I'm familiar with the subject uh, on some level, but it just seems like this situation uh, is from. And this is just off of my experience. Less, and you know, this isn't any. Uh, reporting, but uh, it just seems like this isn't something that I don't think the league is going to care about. Only because I I don't think that what happened had anything to do with the actual Patriots, like op, like football operations department. You know, because if you would have told me that the Patriots, like, video crew um like that deals with the day-to-day video aspect of the team if they were the ones that shot this then i would say that's concerning but 
they wouldn't you wouldn't send a video guy or a whole video crew to a, to an opposing team's game especially not when you play that same day so this is this so this isn't their this isn't their video crew this is like you know the the social media department or the you know the content department and i mean is it is it a possibility that bill belichick is orchestrating things that happen within the the, the content department that are outside of football operations uh, possibly, but that's that's so that's such a far leap that I can't say that this is. Plus, it's what they were what they were allegedly uh, inappropriately recording wasn't anything that that was that was that interesting. You know, I mean, it's the Cleveland it's the Cincinnati Bengals sideline. So I don't know. I the the sense I've gotten from from you know uh, just just. With the whispers are that this is much to do about nothing, but I don't know. We'll see. It pro it, it it sounds like it is, but it just it it's something about the fact that the the Patriots seem to always still be linked up in the same kind of scandal. Yeah, that makes and you wonder. At a certain point, like for the sake of just really driving home a message, do you have to just hammer them? It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. But why does it? There's no other, there's literally, Kendall, no other team I've ever seen have issues with videotaping other teams' stuff, except the for the Patriots. <laughs> except for the Patriots. No other team I've ever seen do it. Now, the, it, it's the Why is it always this right. team that keeps getting that, in trouble with this? That, that's And that, that's a fair, fair point. You know, like, why is it, why, if they're innocent, why are the name always, why are the name always coming up in this kind of stuff? That's fair. Um, look, I mean, I, I thought it was bizarre. The Chiefs' equipment went missing. You know, like, <laughs> they ended up in Newark, New Jersey. When it's always to play. something with these guys. You know, and like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, and, you know, so, like, it hap- it, it's always something, but there's never a way to really pin it on them. But, um, and, you, again, you may say to yourself, you know, they ha- they had – they are always caught up in this, but at the same time, maybe it's that same like they have that target that other teams don't. So like they can't get away with things as much as other teams can. So, um, well, I don't think that there are other teams out there just you know blatantly cheating. Um, whatever New England's doing is gonna be watched with a much more careful eye than most teams in the league. So, which is why you would think the Patriots would be more careful about these things. This is yeah. This um, is unless, unless unless they're trying to do something. Yeah, unless they're trying to do something. It just seems odd to me that you're filming an advanced scout, and for somehow your camera goes from the advanced scout to the whole first quarter of the Cincinnati Bengals sideline. It, yeah, I, it just seems odd. Why that? How that happens? I've I've done, I've gone on, uh, I've gone on shoots. I've gone on shoots with athletes, and I've gone on shoots with people who I'm profiling and seeing everything they do and you're getting B-roll. I, I, I'm willing, I would be the kind of person willing to give them as much a benefit of doubt when you're trying to do a profile piece like the apparently the, the web team was trying to do. I'm trying to find the case where filming a whole first quarter of football with turning to the team that you're playing against, turning to their uh, sidelines and recording the entire thing how that would benefit the profile piece. I don't know. 
I'm not going to say that there it was absolutely something nefarious. I just think that's something that they need to explain. Yes, yes. This this will this will be an interesting one. This will this will be an interesting one. But I, I again, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. But the NFL will 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 gladly wipe this under the rock. They don't want to talk about this. They don't want to spend any time with this. Not when the playoffs are coming up. No, and not with this team. They don't like as much as Patriots fans hate to. They don't. It's much their chagrin. The NFL doesn't like fighting with the Patriots. No, the Patriots force their hand with their <laughs> shady behavior. But the NFL doesn't <laughs> like doing this. They prefer to prop up their most, arguably, their, maybe not the most recognizable team. Because that's the Cowboys. But this is maybe the second most recognizable team. And their most recognized, definitely the most recognizable coach and player. Like, they don't want to hammer these guys but and investigate these guys. But, again, they kind of, they, they, they leave them no choice. I, I do, and I don't know. Bill Belichick is the kind of coach that has every thing under his thumb. He, he knows exactly what's happening at all times. Yes, that's I, what I've heard. I, <laughs> I don't. I, I, I find it hard to believe that he just had no clue about any of this. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm a Jet fan. I gotta put that out there. So for people who may feel like I'm being hard on the Patriots, that's out there. But now, if it was a different kind of coach, I would give him more of a benefit of the doubt. If it was Ed Orgeron, let's say we were LSU, Ed Orgeron, all of a sudden he was like, "Oh, I didn't know that." This guy, people were filming like Mississippi State sideline. I probably believe him. I feel like Eddie Orgeron's kind of just doing all, all over the place. He's kind of, you know, he's, he, I feel like his attention wouldn't be on things like that. But for a guy like Belichick, who's a mad scientist, who's looking for every single advantage he could possibly find, and he wants to know, make sure every person in the building is doing things that are necessary towards them winning a championship that everyone's on the same goal on the same path every single person we all know that that's how he is he didn't know that they were in cincinnati he didn't know that they were filming anything with his with his advanced scout he runs the team that just seems that seems a little unbelievable like to me like when i hear categorical denials i i like i pause because i'm like you didn't know anything. A guy on your staff is doing a profile piece, and you and is going to Cincinnati, and you, you're using his information because you're playing them next week. You had no clue cameras were with him. Like to me, if he said, "Oh, I knew there was a profile piece," I didn't tell him the film. I don't almost believe that. You didn't know anything. You didn't know any of that was happening, fam. That's gotta raise some eyebrows, man. I'm just saying. As OJ would say, which Jesus Christ. But anyway, uh, I think that's a good place to wrap this show this week, guys. So I want to thank you guys so much for listening in to this edition of New Generation Sports Talk. Uh, I know we weren't here last week. Things got a little wet, weird with our schedules, but we are uh, back this week. And we plan on being back next week with more sports talk. You can catch all of our shows if you like this podcast and other podcasts. We do uh, Hero Talk. We do Star Wars podcast called the Imperial Broadcast. If you like all that content, head over to our, our, our channel on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn, New Generation Podcast Network. Also, make sure you follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, New Generation Media, on Twitter at New Generation Pod, and Instagram at New Generation Podcast. You can find me on social media. I'm EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter and Action EJ on Instagram. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week. For Shamar, for, wait, not for Shamar, for Kendall, I'm EJ. Peace.